Let's jump in tonight and get uh, picking up where we left off. All right. Abide is what we're calling Wednesday nights right now as we're learning to abide in the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. Before we get into picture pondering and praying and all that, we're going to start with John chapter 15 and verse 4. And the whole reason we're doing the concept we're doing on Wednesday nights, which has been different than just typically showing up for a worship service and some Bible teaching, I think it's more important that we learn how to abide in Christ. And that's a discipline that I think many in the body of Christ maybe haven't quite figured out yet. I think we've been taught how to memorize scripture. I think we've been taught how to pray at times. I think we've been taught to read through the Bible. But abiding is a different thing. Abiding is a relationship issue. Uh, and part of that relationship is time in the Word. It is time in prayer. It is memorizing Scripture. It's, it's the Word of God alive in us. But I want to go back to the truth that Jesus taught in John 15, 4, when he said, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. He's reminding them, think about it. Take a branch, break it off. It might have been, over the years, a productive apple branch and produced a lot of apples, but you break it away from the vine and it no longer can bear fruit. The branch doesn't have the power to produce the fruit. It comes from the vine. And he gives us that whole analogy by saying, um, it cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And so we have a lot of people in the body of Christ, I'm not going to say PCBC, but in the body of Christ in America, I've seen this from 36 years of ministry, um, a lot of people that are sitting in chairs, a lot of people who are going to church, a lot of people that go to Bible studies, a lot of people who know more of the Bible than I know the Bible, just like the Pharisees, but they're not abiding in Christ. They're abiding in a church membership, they are attenders, they are reading the Bible, but God didn't call us to do the mechanics of Christianity. He called us to be his children. It is a relationship issue, and that's this word, abide. If you were to pick it apart in the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have a great tool that allows me to look at Greek words, original meanings, the tense, either Greek or Hebrew in the Old Testament, and learn a little bit more depth of what was being communicated in that moment. The actual word for abide, used both in verse 4 and verse 5, everywhere you see it, you find it is in the Greek present tense. Now, what does that mean to you and me? Well, in the Greek language, whenever they used a certain tense of a verb, it communicated certain things. One particular Greek uh, tense of a word might mean it's a one-time command, do it and do it now. Uh, this particular tense means that you are to abide in me, and it is the Greek present tense, which means continual, habitual, ongoing action. It's a much different form of the word. So what Jesus was saying, just like a branch on, let's go back to the apple tree. There's your picture. Uh, for years it might produce apples, and it might produce scores of apples, and it might have been your strongest, best fruit-bearing tree in your backyard. One ice storm and that branch breaks away, it doesn't matter how healthy it's been in the past, if it's not abiding in that trunk, in that tree, what do we know happens next year off that branch? Absolutely nothing. And it isn't because all of a sudden it's a sinner branch. Uh, it's not all of a sudden it's a rebellious branch. 
It's a dead branch. It's dead because it's not abiding. It's not remained connected to the trunk. And so there are lots of Christians that have connected with God in a moment where they realize I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. They repent of their sins. They experience God of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes to live in them. They are born again spiritually. And then they unplug from Christ. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation, but they become spiritually dry, dead, and cold. Jesus said, you won't bear fruit unless you are abiding in me. So how do we abide in Christ? How do we remain in Christ? How do we keep that connection to Christ so that the fruit of the Spirit is coming from our life instead of us trying to live for God and manufacture what I call artificial fruit? Well, that's what we're learning to do with ponder, picture, and pray. It teaches you to not just read the words of Scripture, but let the Word of God be the bread of life to your soul. And so before we get to the bread of life, let me remind you on the next slide uh, that we have the Beast Feast coming up. I know you've been hearing me talk a lot about that, uh, but the Beast Feast, we would love to have you help us spread the Word. Uh, Sign up has been okay, but it isn't exactly what I was hoping for yet. I think we've got about 100 people or maybe a little bit more than 100 signed up already. Five dollars is all it costs, and I really would love to pack out this space with a lot of our Hoosier ones. It's a great, you say, I'm not bringing somebody that needs Jesus to somebody who may go meet Jesus because they eat some critter. Uh, don't, it is edible, awesome meal. It will be good. It is what our forefathers uh, grew up on, and so you, you will be able to handle it. It's not going to be mystery meat. It's going to be a well-cooked, really special time. A lot of neat things will be going on. A lot of giveaways are happening. A lot of good door prizes. It's a great outreach event. So help us spread the word. You can register online through our webpage for that. All right? So on the next one, uh, this picture here reminds you that we have three principles that we're learning how to abide in Christ and let Christ abide in us. The first one, that picture of the magnifying glass. That's pondering. That When we're in the scripture, I don't want to read through it just to say, I read a chapter today, or I'm reading through the Bible this year. If you can get through the Bible this year, pondering and digging in deep, good for you. I'd rather see us uh, get halfway through the Bible as long as we're digging in and we're spending time with God and connecting with God. What good is it to read a book if we don't connect with the author of the book? What good is it to know that I've read a hundred chapters, but I missed out on 10 key truths that God had for my life and the things that he wanted to speak into my life in that day. It was pretty interesting. I got challenged this last week about one of the things where I'm being challenged spiritually. And and I talked about, uh, with my coach, I talked about an issue that was going on and finding that I'm not as gentle-spirited as I need to be. That uh, I find myself kind of a little more edgy. I don't know, obviously, COVID world's doing that thing. Corporate America is doing it to me. I can't tell you one thing that went well with corporate America this last week. In my cable bill, in my car that's getting repaired by State Farm and by other, just everything, and I find myself edgy. And I open up the Word of God the very next morning, and there it is, straight out of Philippians, and it says, let everyone see your gentle spirit. Oh, thank you, Lord. Just rub my face in it, right? Uh, that's just the Lord, how he works. He is alive and his word is alive. And it's there to speak into our heart and to be that life source, just like a trunk is to that apple tree. Are we connecting with God? 
If we're not connecting with the Lord and abiding in Him and Him and us, all we're doing is showing up for church. Or all we're doing is heading for heaven one day like Israel was to the promised land, but not experiencing the joy of the journey. Let's experience the joy of the Lord, the joy of Him in a world that's not so joyful. Can I get an amen from those who are starting to figure it out? So, first thing we do, we dig in, we ponder. Uh, I've learned to start looking one-on-one with God. One of the things it did for me is it caused me to slow down and really look at what God was communicating. To know that every key word wasn't written by Paul, wasn't written by David in the Psalms, wasn't written by uh, any other who we attribute authorship to. The Holy Spirit inspired each and every one of those writers to give us exactly the words he wanted to communicate to us. And so every word is valuable. Uh, The whole of God's scripture speaks life to us. But sometimes it's like a crime scene. We need to to look a little deeper. Maybe there's something we're overlooking or something we've missed before. And we just glance through it because we've seen it before. We've been there before. And my encouragement to you is to slow down, to take time to break out the magnifying glass and let stuff just pop out to you. Once we do that, the next slide would then show us that we are to... Turn that into a picture. To anchor that in one of three ways, a literal picture, for example, in John 15, verse 4 that we just looked at, I gave you a picture. Uh, I think most of us have seen an apple tree in Oklahoma or some kind of fruit-bearing tree, and we can picture that truth, and we, we literally can also picture the ice storm of not too long ago, and we can remember driving up and down the streets and watching these huge piles of dead branches just continue to rot on our streets. And the, 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 the tragedy of once beautiful trees were devastated as those branches were ripped apart. I can see that still to this day. Well, I can anchor that. And now as I picture that truth out of John 15 in verse 4, how do I translate that into a prayer? The picture becomes a big part of my prayer. Lord, I don't want to be like one of those branches. All I'm doing is talking to God about what God just talked to me about in John 15, 4. Now I'm dialoguing back and I'm seeing that truth and I don't want that to be my reality. Lord, I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, I'm not being gentle like I need to be right now. Lord, I'm stressed. And Lord, I find myself being less than Spirit-filled in these moments. So God, today, fill me with your Spirit. God, I plug into you. Lord, I want to abide in you and you abide. You see how that verse created holy dialogue that's all prayer is holy dialogue and so we turn the picture into prayer so tonight we're going to jump in we've got four verses again we're going at a rapid pace through the book of Ephesians let's get her done tonight we're at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 17 through 18 take a look at it here's what we're going to do I'm going to read it to you off the screen find it in your Bible you will break out your magnifying glass you'll put your eyes on this uh, on these two verses You'll start marking it up. I hope you're learning to mark things up, draw on it, mark uh, relationships there, highlight things, whatever works for you uh, to get the crime scene down. Here it is, verse 17. And Jesus, we know it's Jesus, capital H, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Go ahead and jump in on those two verses. Don't talk about it at your table yet. You just let God talk to you right now. Listen to the Lord. What jumps out? 
What, what are you going to mark there? What are you going to take note of? And then we'll talk around the tables in four minutes. Ready, set, go. All right, that may be a little short of four minutes, but if you want to take some time now and share around your table, there's a couple things that are jumping out to you. Uh, take some moments now and be iron sharpening iron. Take turns. What do you see in that verse? Go ahead. All right, I'm going to interrupt the discussion. Uh, point out a couple things that just jumped out to me just to be another layer of iron sharpening iron. Obviously, in verse 17, it says that Jesus came and preached peace. Well, as I was looking at that, all right, so I better, if he was preaching something, I need to hear it. What does it mean he came preaching peace? Well, he preached to those who were far away. Who was that? We learned last week that's the Gentiles, right? Did he come just to save the Gentiles? Does that mean the Jews were fine? That they were okay? It says here he also came to preach to those who were near as well. In other words, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need Jesus. And we all need peace. Now, it doesn't mean he came to preach that you would have uh, no noise in your life. Sometimes we look at peace and say, oh, I just need some peace and quiet. You ever said that? This word peace, I did a word study on it. What was he saying? Obviously, it was prophesied from the Old Testament that he would be the Prince of Peace. What does that mean? Well, the word peace here, if you do a word study in the Greek, it means being whole with another party. In other words, two parties who were at war, and remember we learned last week we were the enemies of God. We were separated from God. Our sin made us enemies. And Jesus came to be the peace maker, the Prince of Peace, to allow us to become one and have peace with God. And because we have the peace with God, we can then experience the peace of God. But you'll never know the peace of God until you have peace with God. And so we find here, Paul was writing them and reminding them, you have the same peace with God that the Jew has if the Jew has Jesus. It isn't because they're a Jew. It isn't because they're the seed of Abraham. It's because they too had to accept Christ as their Savior. They were near maybe, maybe nearer than the Gentile, especially as what we're about to see in the temple. But both parties needed peace with God, all right? Uh, another word that jumped out, and I'm sure, I think I heard a lot of you talking about this, is found in verse 18, that through Christ, both of us have what? Access. Access. Did that word jump out to just about every table, the word access? Well, let's dig in. So let's go to the next slide. And uh, here is the word access. It literally means, this is from a strong concordance, it literally means to come towards, to be, instead of being apart, it means to come towards, it's to be able to approach. Um, you can get a picture of a king in a kingdom in the old days. If you ever watched the old King Arthur movies or Robin Hood or whatever, and there's the king sitting on the throne and all the peasants are out in the lands, uh, you know, separated from the palace and no access to the king, especially if it was a wicked king and a selfish king. And yet you would need something that only the king could provide and it took special access to get in his throne room. Well, that picture is given to us here, but notice another part of that definition. It's not just being able to approach the king, but notice the kind of access Notice it brings out in that Greek word, and they understood it in their language. We miss it in the interpretation. It literally means an intimate access, face-to-face, -face. just nobody else in the room. 
Uh, and it's not just you get to approach the king with your request. It's a time that you get to spend with the king. It's as if you're the king's own son. It's like you're the prince and, and you're spending time with your daddy. It's that kind of picture of access. I think a lot of us think, yeah, I've got access to God, the God of the universe, the God in heaven. And when I got problems and I need peace or I need this, I can talk to God. I at least now have access to God, but God is still a million miles away. This picture here says, no, in Christ Jesus, you have the same access that the prince has to the king. Because you are a prince or a princess. I see a lot of princesses in the room. You are a child of God, and now you once were his enemy, but now in Christ, you have an inheritance. You are a child of the king. You have that kind of access. You don't have to ask permission. Uh, anytime I'm with somebody, I won't ever take a phone call unless it's one of my family. They have direct access to me no matter where I am, no matter what's going on. They get that privilege. They've earned it. They have to live with me. They get access anytime they need it, right? And that's what we have with our Heavenly Father, direct access with Him. Now, let me show you in the next picture the beauty of this picture of access. It's dark, and I'm sorry, and Lord willing, in a few months, we're going to have a much better picture for you on things like this. But this is actually the Holy of Holies that was inside the temple in the certain spot that nobody could go to except the high priest, all right? As you look into the Holy of Holies, you see a curtain divider. Now, they've done an intersection here, so you can look into this Holy of Holy area. But you can see there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. That was the presence of the glory of God. That was the Shekinah glory that would burst forth back in the day when the Ark of the Covenant led them through the wilderness. And now it's landed here. The high priest once a year would have access, only the high priest, a representative of God, into that place to offer up the offerings for the sins of the people. Everywhere else, and we'll look at the full temple picture later on, everywhere else, everyone was on the outside just hoping that what the high priest was doing on the inside was going to cover their bases. No access because they were unholy and they were in their sin. No access into the holy of holies. But let me show you a neat verse. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 27, verses 50 through 51. I'll put it up on the screen. That'll be the next slide on it. Perfect. And Jesus cried out from the cross with a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He took on the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, our substitute, the Lamb of God that was dying for the sins of the world, took up his last breath, gave up his spirit, and behold, in that very moment, after he had finally paid the price for man's sin, watch this, what was the very next thing that happened in human history? The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Back up to the previous again. Let's look in on the Holy of Holies. That curtain that separated anybody from having access to the holy presence of God. The very first thing that happened, what kept us from that presence? Our sin. What did Jesus die for? Our sin. Paid the penalty. And now in Christ, and he demonstrated physically, gave us a picture there in the Holy of Holies. He ripped the curtain in half, and now what did man have access to? The Holy of Holies. I don't know if that gets you excited, if that is powerful to you, but for the people of that day, it freaked them out. 
for generation after generation after generation, no access. A man had to go represent me, and I had to bring him a critter, and he had to sacrifice it. It wasn't for a wild game feast. It was to represent the sins of my family. And I just had to hope and pray, man, it was going to be sufficient, and I had to hope and pray that he wouldn't botch it up, and he was able to go behind that curtain, and nobody ever knew what, what happened beyond that curtain. Only that high priest. But after Jesus died on the cross, we have that same access. Do you understand you are the priesthood of the believer? That you don't need me or somebody wearing a collar or somebody who's been ordained by a seminary to represent you to God. You don't need your Bible study teacher or one of our staff uh, to pray for. We will pray for you and we pray for each other, but that's not because you don't have access. That's because we're a family and we do that together. But you have that access. Just like the high priest did in their day, you have the priesthood of the believer. You have direct access to God. So what does that mean for us? Hebrews 4.16. Let's go to that slide, Hebrews 4.16. Look at this. Therefore, let us approach the throne. There's that word of access. There we find this encouragement from the writer of Hebrews that we can go to the throne where the king sits. And where is Jesus after he took that last breath on the cross, after they buried him in the grave and he rose three days later, where did he arise? To his throne. And he is still ruling and reigning over all of creation and over all the universes and all that God has created. And that very king you have access to. In a moment, we're going to, as a body, access the Lord in this moment and approach him. It says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. How would you like to be that high priest? And if you've studied it back in the Old Testament, they'd tie a rope around his ankle. Did you know that? You know why they tied the rope on the ankle? Because they weren't trusting that high priest to be worthy of even getting in there. And if he had unconfessed sin and he wasn't right with God to that moment of confession, he wouldn't make it to the Holy of Holies. And they'd have to drag him out. Wouldn't that be a bad deal? You're trusting this one-time event for the year to cover the sins for your family and that guy blows your only chance? That's a bad moment, reeling him out, isn't it? But we don't have to fear. Is God going to strike me with lightning? I know sometimes we wonder, man, maybe, maybe I shouldn't approach the throne today. I'm not worth, none of us would be worthy, but Christ has made us worthy. Christ made that inheritance for us and we're a child of the king. And I don't think very many people approach the throne like a child of the king. I think we approach God as a beggar, as a hope sower, as a Lord, I need you, and not realizing we're just his child. Let's go run. And he wants us to run to him, and he wants us to come to that throne with all that we have in our hearts. So he says, go with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help when? When? In our time of need. Can you think of a time you haven't had a need? I can't. I got a need all the time. I got a need, and I don't want to turn to the government, and I don't want to turn to someone else, and I don't want to turn to myself. I want to go to the king, and the king will always have much more to provide than anyone else on the planet. Let's approach his throne. And let's just don't do it as if we're approaching the creator of the universe a million miles away. Let's remember we have that intimate access and that we go to that throne just like a little kid would go jump in the king's lap and talk to his daddy. That's what we are taught to do in scripture. 
Romans chapter 8. Turn over there, Romans chapter 8. Let's talk about this access one more time. Remember the picture of the the veil that was torn? How was that veil torn? There's an interesting uh, point that was in that scripture we didn't ponder very well. You remember how it was torn? From top to bottom. Now, if it would have been the earthquake, which an earthquake, I mean, the whole world was turned upside down that moment. If it had been an earthquake, it would have happened, it would have torn from the bottom up. That would have been a natural tear. This was a supernatural tear. This was God from heaven reaching down, ripping that bad boy apart and saying, you have access to me through my son, Jesus Christ, because of what he just did. That is a holy picture that I never want to miss from my head. Go to Romans chapter 8. Let's get to the heart. Paul would say in Romans 8, and this isn't for everybody. You have to remember Romans 8, 28. He said, for those who are in Christ or those who love the Lord, this is their promise. All things work together for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's where it starts in verse 28. Those who love the Lord. Gets down in verse 38. That's our context. You love the Lord or you wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night pondering, picturing, and praying. Verse 38. For I'm convinced that not even death, we just had a funeral we'll talk about in a little while, just yesterday for a 16-year-old PC high school baseball player, not even death can separate us from God. Nothing in this life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come in our future, there's not a single power on this planet, nothing too high, nothing too low, nothing that has ever been created can separate us from the love of Christ now. Now, up until that moment when Jesus took that last breath, there was a separation. There was a veil. There was the Holy of Holies, and we were not. But now we know, because of what Christ did and that veil being torn, we have direct access to holy God because we're his holy kids in Christ Jesus. You look at that list in verse 38 and 39, I can't think of any other thing that could trip us up and could block that access anymore. We have direct access to the king. I think we've learned that one. Are we ready? Are we good there? So let's pray. Let's pray. We have pondered a bunch of things. We've pondered about peace. We've pondered about access. You may have pondered about something else. A picture that we have is that veil being torn and being able to know that we have a picture in my head is a little prince running into the king's throne room ahead of everyone else and just jumping in the lap of the king. That's my picture. I'm not sure what you picture out of those two verses, but find your picture and turn that into a holy dialogue. Just talk to the Lord about what he just talked to you about in those two verses. Uh, somebody at the table, if you would lead out, maybe you feel comfortable with your picture and what you would pray about, let somebody else listen in. We do that as a staff, and when we do that, it always encourages me in my prayer life and maybe thinking about, oh man, that, that, that is so good, and I get to agree with them in prayer. Would somebody lead out in a prayer around your table? And then I'll jump us to the next two verses. Go ahead and pray. All right, if you're done praying, I'll jump in there. If you need to keep praying, you finish up. Let's go to our next two verses, verse 19 and 20. So then, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you're of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Dig in on those two. Now, there may not be quite as much here. You might not think at first, but get out the magnifying glass. Be the private eye. What do you dig out? What do you see? What does God want you to see tonight? You make your notes personally, and here in about two or three minutes, I'll have you share at your table. 
Hopefully you've had some time to dig through that. I'm not trying to rush. I just want to get us into some things and certainly into some prayer time before we leave tonight. If you would now transition and share at your table one or two things that jumped out to you there and uh, dialogue for a moment with one another before we talk about dialoguing with the Lord. All right, if I could interrupt, I'm sorry. I see a lot of good discussion going on. But I want to draw attention to a couple things I'd like for us to close in prayer tonight for several things. But uh, a couple words that jump out are a couple different parts of that passage that were really strong. It says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Uh, what in the world? Um, again, what's the, what's the significance of that? That you're not a stranger or a foreigner, but you're a fellow citizen with the saints. Well, let me take you to this picture again. This is the temple. Uh, now, instead of in the Holy of Holies, we're just the whole temple that Herod built. Uh, there's a lot of symbolism that's represented in this temple, and it was built around their understanding. Uh, we already saw inside, if you see the big tallest piece, uh, the holy place, that's where the high priest would take from the altar on the outside in the temple of the priest. The priests were the ones who were able to get closest to that holy place. And inside the holy place, there was the curtain that separated uh, that holy of holies. So you have that space at the very top, the inner courts, the high the priest. Then you had the court of Israel where the men could gather. They were just next to the priest, but they didn't get access to where the priest could, so they weren't quite as near, but they were more near than the next one where the ladies were, the courtroom of the women, the Jewish women. And then all of that is on that upper level. That's all the courts and all the people of God, the Jews, as they saw themselves. And each one was a little bit nearer than the other, but none of them had direct access to the Holy of Holies. And then we're being reminded, we, we are the children of God now. We have direct access, but where did we used to be? On the outside, at the lower levels, they did have courtyards for the Gentiles, and I was a little curious, and I thought, why would they have courtyards for the Gentiles? Anybody know why they had courtyards for the Gentiles? Well, there are a couple reasons. Uh, one, uh, it was good for tourism. Sounds crazy, but it was good for tourism. They wanted people to respect their religion, to have at least a little bit of CNN was there. But you know what else they had? Offerings. There were offerings that Gentiles could bring. Uh, that's where Jesus turned over uh, the tables. That's where the... The, the thieving was going on. They were ripping off the Gentiles, especially in that court, court area. It was a place where they could still make some money off those who were way far from God. But maybe you could throw in a few coins and maybe God would take notice. Isn't that interesting? I find that kind of crazy. That's where we used to be. We were the furthest ones out. We were not even, we're not even able to, to look on that upper level. It doesn't matter whether they were nearer than we were or anybody else is better than we We all gain access through Christ, who is, according to this verse that we just read, the cornerstone. Now, Bill Fleming could probably teach us better than I can since he's doing a lot of building and, and has built a lot of buildings. But if you do some research on a cornerstone, what's the purpose of the cornerstone? The purpose of the cornerstone was to be that anchoring point for two walls to be brought together at right angle. Instead of it just being perhaps maybe meeting down the line, that cornerstone was designed to connect, well, guess what? Those who were near and those who were far both now have access to Christ, not because they're Jewish or circumcised or not because I'm a Gentile or whatever, but through Christ we were brought all 
of us were brought to direct access to God. That's a picture that you get to pray about. So as we go to pray tonight, as we break up, I do want to encourage you. On Sundays, we started doing a ministry during services called Chair Warriors. Um, Last Sunday, we had a lot of chairs to pray over. There were a lot of people out sick and cold weather, and so we had a lot of chairs to pray over. And sometimes we may be thinking, what good is it to pray for a chair? Uh, We need to be praying for revival. We need to pray for this. We need to pray for that. Well, that's just another symbolic action of faith and prayer. So let me tell you, for the first time during COVID, every single one of these chairs were filled with a person just a couple days ago. Michelle Cohen, a teacher at PC Original, sitting in the back, and she can testify. We had people even standing on the back wall. We brought in extra chairs. We had over 550, close to maybe 600 people, every person in a chair for that funeral. We got to present a gospel to a whole school, basically all of PC High School. And out of that, just as of today, over 881 different households have viewed the video on YouTube from that service. That's a lot of impact. That's a lot of people that get to hear the gospel. So when you're praying and you think, oh, it's just itty-bitty me with itty-bitty prayers, I want you to understand you have direct access to the throne of the king. And you get to go to God. And when we do those things, we're not just throwing up random prayers. We're praying to influence this city, this world with the gospel. And so as you go out tonight, know that your prayers are not in vain. I can tell you it was one of the most powerful experiences I've had in a long time with a very difficult funeral. Staring at the face of a mom and a dad that buried a 16, 17-year-old boy. That's difficult. But I can tell you it was tough but joyous. It was a powerful move of the spirit in this place and I know it's because we had chair warriors praying so tonight we get to be chair warriors I'm going to share that story Sunday so so don't act bored with it when you hear it but just be encouraged with it tonight you get the first run at that story and let's pray you go walking out tonight walk by those chairs just pray over them Lord whether it's tomorrow next week sometime God whoever you bring bring people put them in these chairs and let them hear the gospel amen other things you can pray for on your tables there's prayer lists there Pray for somebody who's hurting. Pray for somebody around your table. And when you're done, you are dismissed. God love you. I love you for being here on a Wednesday night. Let me tell you that. And I'll see you Sunday morning.